0: So communication on top of, you know, mental health, social well-being, things like that, it underlies almost everything that kids are going to do academically. I think that can't be overstated enough how important family involvement is for any piece of education, but also very much in particular speech and language. That's the feedback I hear most often is whether a school is communicating a lot or not communicating enough with the families.
1: Today. A conversation about how schools can work to support families of students who receive speech and language services, especially now at the tail end of 2020, when these services are often delivered remotely. From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip.
0: Leanne Sherrod. I'm a speech language pathologist.
1: Leanne helped co-found a company called Expressible.io.
0: We are a provider of online speech language therapy services. So in other words, telehealth, telepractice. So that's, that's where I currently am and that's where I've
1: been. Today, we're looking at how schools can be more effective in working with students who have challenges with speech and communication. It's an area, Leanne says, that's really crucial for schools to get right?
0: Yeah. So if we think about what communication does for kids, it's it's crucial. It's so fundamental. Obviously, they are communicating well before they're entering school and it's has an impact and plays a role on not only their ability to tell their parents and their families when they're hungry, when they have to go to the bathroom, but it's these fundamental things for pre-literacy skills and literacy, reading comprehension, written language expression and then looking towards even the mental health side of things for children to be able to communicate how they're feeling, why something makes them feel the way it does, and then that in turn leads into social communication, their ability to socialize with their peers, form meaningful relationships with others. So communication on top of, you know, mental health, social well-being, things like that It underlies almost everything that kids are going to do academically. So that's why speech and language falls under the umbrella of special education, because if a child is struggling with some area of that and it it has an impact on their academics, then we catch that in the school and then we work to help support them, obviously, so they can access their education.
1: Take, for example, a student in first grade with a speech sound disorder.
0: They might have a lot of their academics on track, but maybe their teachers and their peers cannot understand what they're saying. And they might start to get a little socially isolated. Peers might not want to spend time talking to them because they have a hard time understanding them. If the speech and language pathology team and the special education team is able to catch that and help support that child. And I, that's a very common story. I'd say there's not just one kiddo I've seen many, many, many kids who that's their exact kind of issue. We're able to catch that, help them work on their overall intelligibility, and then kind of get them answering questions in class, participating. That's going to help their reading skills. And I've seen that exact story time and time again. If we miss it, then again, because speech and language underlies so many of these academic skills, you're likely to see kids continue to fall behind. They might start off a little bit behind. And if we don't support them in those areas, you'll see it trickling into all their other academic areas. So if they don't have good speech intelligibility, phonological skills, when they're getting set up to learn how to read with their teachers in instruction, they're gonna struggle and have a hard time. And if we don't look at that from a speech and language angle, then we might be missing a crucial underlying piece and then see them fall farther and farther behind.
1: Some of the ways to address students that have language and communication issues might be obvious. Things like providing access to speech therapy and that kind of thing. But there are probably not so obvious uh, things for schools, especially as they're working with this population of students during this time when some students may be learning at home while others are in the school. What are the kinds of things that are really important to highlight right now in 2020?
0: Yeah, those, those differences might look different. And in some kids cases, they might be exacerbated by the way that they're having to access the education at this point in time from home over technology. If one child has, you know, a receptive language disorder, where comprehension is difficult, when things are conveyed with, you know, less visual cues in person, some of those nonverbal cues, they're not able to see what we're pointing to in the room, things like that, the way that you get that setting of the classroom, we might need to pay attention more to the wait time that we give them, the processing time, managing the whole classroom of students in order to to help maybe just that one for a moment. So maybe building in a very clear system for turn-taking on some of those Zoom classrooms or whatever platform they're using. There's probably been a big shift and it's been going on for a while now in 2020. And I'm sure that teachers have come up with a lot of clever ways to manage these differences. But the way that an IEP looked and the supports that were given in the classroom might have needed to be adjusted for this setting just because so many things are different. And I think for the educators, it would be really helpful for the general education classroom teachers to be really communicative right now with the special education teachers about what they're noticing. And then the special education can help support the changes that might need to take place based on the fact that we're all doing this remote.
1: Now, I'm a father with two kids at home, 9 and 12. And my family is all working from home and learning from home, crammed into a house that seems way smaller than it did when we bought it. Thankfully, the support we get from our school district is impressive. But it's still not easy, even when kids are only doing regular coursework. So from where she sits, I asked Leanne about how schools can work with parents and guardians and families whose students receive services like this.
0: It can't be overstated how important it is for families to be involved. I mean, teachers, educators obviously know that. And when we're looking at the special education side of things, sometimes it can get a bit contentious, you know, the minutes and getting down to all that legal nitty gritty. The fact of the matter is that progress and outcomes will all be stronger when everyone is on the same page. And I think that can't be overstated enough how important family involvement is for any piece of education, but also very much in particular speech and language.
1: So can you give some practical advice for how schools can better engage with families and caregivers in this area?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a tough nut to crack because like you already mentioned, everyone is busy right now. Everyone is dealing with a million spinning plates at once. When I think about it and we, you know, we don't work directly with the schools, but when I think about what I would try to do is I would try my best to kind of meet families where they are, because uh, in my practice, what I find is I come back a lot to the idea of non-contingent help giving, which is where you kind of wait for people to come to you or have that light bulb moment instead of shoving a bunch of stuff on their plate all at once, because it's just gonna collapse down and none of it's gonna get done versus if we're able to help them piecemeal it, they'll be a lot more able to jump on board and help out. So I think schools can kind of work together with families by keeping pieces small and manageable. You know if we need to practice something at home, is there a way that we can make it take just five minutes instead of 30? Because those five minutes will actually get done. The 30 might not, especially right now. But that five minutes would have a major impact.
1: Give me an example. I know that you work um, with families. Have you seen schools really do things excellently? And if so, what does that look like?
0: I, I work a lot with families and while we work outside of the school, the feedback that I hear a lot is when there's a lot of open communication channels, there can be a lot of asynchronous communication. You don't have to catch the parent on the phone, but there's some piece of communication going back and forth or sometimes Children who receive speech therapy services might have a speech journal where the speech teacher jots a note down in the session with the child, and then the parent opens it up from the kid's backpack. Obviously, we're not doing backpack passing right now, but the similar concept exists within things like Classroom Dojo. That communication channel, having it open consistently is, I think, when I hear parents' respond the best to the services that they're getting at school versus the moments where you know i hear well i i hardly even know what they're working on at school i know that they get speech minutes but oh i think it's once a week that's when you know that the parents at that point they they don't even know enough right now to 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 help to be helpful so the outcomes again are just not going to be as optimal as they could be of course it sometimes it comes down to a resource issue right the time that's available for the speech therapist is really crunched because they have a big, big caseload. But I think clever ways like Classroom Dojo can be really, really helpful in the long run. I, I think that number one is... <sighs> Is the communication. I mean, we're talking about communication for the kids, communication with the schools. I think even if it's little updates, if the schools can push those out to parents, I, I just think that goes a long way. And working outside of the school, like I said, that that's the feedback I hear most often is whether a school is communicating a lot or not communicating enough with the families.
1: Hmm. Paint a picture a little bit more of, of the families that you're working with right now. What does their day-to-day look like? What do you see kids struggling with that they might not otherwise, I'm sure that you have a better picture than a lot of people of what these families are going through.
0: Yeah. So it depends. Some of those kids who are doing the blended learning where they're going in some days, but then at home on on others, their days look a lot, I think like a jigsaw puzzle because parents are maybe also working from home and they're trying to arrange their schedule for these things based on a work schedule and a blended learning schedule. So I think again, that time crunch is a big obstacle that's happening right now for families. On the other hand, I think some things that are helpful right now are the breaks that might exist in the day for the kids. So they might do a chunk of learning in the morning online, and then they have a gap and then they might do some other learning later in the afternoon. I I see that as kind of effective for the kids when I'm working with my kids, they, they might come to my session a little bit renewed if they had a moment to go outside the same way that they might at recess. So I think (laughs) overall, sadly, the word would still probably be hectic. How does their day look? Probably pretty hectic. I think this, now that we're into the fall, again, the new school year, it seems a lot more settled than at the end of the last school year in the, in the spring.
1: Well, I want to ask you about that too, because I know that right now in general in schools, we're dealing with all kinds of issues that we didn't a year ago, just like there are concerns about COVID slide and academic challenges. As a result of the pandemic, we're probably also seeing setbacks in this area as well. Am I right?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: What does that look like?
0: Well, I think that like we kind of mentioned Because the way that IEPs are written for special education services, they are narrowed down to the setting, right? Is the service happening in the speech room? Is it happening in the classroom? How many minutes? Well, that setting is totally out the window. They're not in the speech room or the classroom. So the goals even that were written might not be the same. So I think that special education services were probably knocked backwards by having to go back to IEP and kind of Reagree with families on what was going to be done, how it was going to be done. So that time playing catch up there, I think, again, I wasn't there, but I would have to imagine that it probably fell backwards.
1: Can you speak at all to any of the mental health challenges that might be flaring up specifically as they relate to communication and language?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of families contacting us reporting some increases in stuttering is kind of a big one that's happening. When any kind of big life event happens, we we might see kids who stutter have a flare up. And I think right now the stress that's been going on, we might see more cases emerging. They might be cases that end up petering out, hopefully once things settle, but you know, it's something that makes families nervous. So they might be, you know, reaching out a lot about that. And I think in general, the socialization, that's pretty tough on kids right now. The fact that they don't have that time together with their peers in a face-to-face interaction, playing together, just hanging out, not needing to necessarily be working on academics. I would be really curious to see, again, what creative ways teachers might be folding in that socialization into their education time, because that time together on the remote classroom might be the only time that some kids are seeing their peers right now.
1: So let's talk about teletherapy and other remote service delivery. What do you think from your vantage point as someone who is not working in a school but who works with these families, what can schools do to better set students up for success?
0: I think getting on the right kind of platforms is helpful. The easier the platform is to use, the more streamlined it's gonna be for parents to get everyone logged on on time, have them set up. Can the student navigate things independently or does a parent have to be there the whole time with them. So I think getting on the right platforms, educators having things pretty organized, taking that time to organize everything digitally if that's the way that we have to convey those pieces of information. And then again the cons- the continual kind of dissemination of information to the families. If there's if there's something that every family will need to know about how to access or any changes or updates in the virtual learning that's happening, making sure it reaches everyone so that they don't kind of fall behind and get lost in the shuffle. What would I like to tell schools? <laughs> Gosh, I think that I would first say kudos. I think every all, all the educators, the administrative people who have had to make these rapid changes should take a deep breath and pat themselves on the back because I know that everyone has been working in earnest very, very hard to get access to every kid who needs it and keep things going as smoothly as possible. And that's a a Herculean effort. I think stay creative and stay open-minded to things. I think at the top of the year, it was a big scramble where everyone kind of dreaded the online learning. And I think There's definitely probably still people out there who dread it on a regular basis, but I think it also opens up some interesting windows of opportunity.
1: Well, Leanne Sherrod is a speech-language pathologist. She is co-founder of Expressible.io. Leanne, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: For more conversations like this one, just hit that subscribe button. We have all kinds of stories for and about those who lead school systems. You might ask, I like to listen to my podcasts on Spotify or on Apple podcasts or on Google podcasts. Can I get field trip there too? You betcha field trip is a podcast from frontline education. Frontline is the leading provider of school administrative software with solutions like frontline service management designed to help you easily take care of service scheduling and documentation so you can focus on student success. For more information, visit frontlineeducation.com slash fieldtrippodcast. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.